Hey, Sequoia, I'm Emily Cox with Ryan Eby, and today we're going to be your KA19 podcast host. How are you doing today, Ryan? I'm doing great, Emily. I'm so excited to be on my first KA19 podcast. Today we're talking to Jason Hodge and John Spikerman from the Ventura County Fire Department, and our topic today is about earthquake and fire preparedness. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, welcome. Uh, thank you for having us. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, so before we get started, I just want to know a little bit about um, both of you and what you guys um, do for your job. Um, well, my, I'm John Spikerman, and I've been on the department for about 30 years. Uh, I've worked in uh, every one of our battalions throughout uh, the entire county, from Ojai to Camarillo to Simi and Thousand Oaks. Right now, I hold the position of division chief which is considered the fire chief of the cities of Thousand Oaks and Simi Valley. So I handle all of those uh, responsibilities as well as operational responsibilities, which is responding to emergencies in the cities of Thousand Oaks, Simi Valley, and the city of Moore Park also. My name is Jason Hodge. Uh, I'm a firefighter with the County of Ventura. So as a firefighter, um, I'm responsible for patient care, uh, the initial attack on structure fires. Uh, I'm really the workhorse of the fire department. Cool. I was wondering how families can prepare for house fires before they occur. What kind of safety per precautions can they make inside their house other than smoke detectors? There's a couple things you can do. So uh, probably the most important thing for a family to do is called Edith, which is exit drills in the home. And what this is, is you need to talk to your family about what you're going to do if there is a fire, because you want to make sure that you know some basic rules, which are if you see smoke, get on the ground, crawl out, and have a meeting place, which is like a mailbox, a, a neighbor's uh, front door. Um, that's probably the most important, simple thing that you can do. And, and I would say, you know, smoke detectors are so important, especially when you're sleeping or even during the day, they'll help alert you if there's a fire because they pick up that first start of that fire, which is that the smoke component. So also having fire extinguishers and being aware of how to use them. So we, a lot of times we see them in schools or in, in the neighborhoods. So do you know where your fire extinguishers are at your house? And do you really know how to use them? I think that's a, a great point, actually, just to stay prepared and stay ready for when it happens. What yeah. can you do if, they're, if you're outside when there's a house fire? You know, number one, it's like, I, like Jason said, and we were talking about preparedness. So, you know, if you're inside a house, what do you do? It could be nighttime during the day. So have that plan, you know, what are you gonna do? If you're outside, you know, it's call 911 and don't go back in. But a lot of us have animals that we really love and care for, so it's very hard not to, to try to go back in. But for us, our number one priority for the fire department is always life safety. So before we worry about anything else, we wanna make sure every citizen is out of that house. So if you're out of that house, we'll be able to focus on that second priority, which is protecting you know, anything, that, any life that's inside the home, like an animal or something, we will focus on that. But it's also protecting your property. And that's why having that meeting place is so important, because we want to make sure that when everyone gets out of the house, they go to the same point. So when we get there, we, we know that your family's out and safe because we have to prioritize that life safety as our initial, it's our initial priority in any fire. So once we know you're out, then, then we can, you know, address the, the containment of the fire itself. What's the best thing to do if you're trapped in a room when there's a fire? 
Well, I would I would say um, make sure if you have the opportunity, stay low. So you always stay low in smoke because the smoke and the heat is always up high. So your survivable area is low. Um, close the door so that it isolates that fire outside of that door and it'll take longer to, it will have to burn through that door. Um, if you have rags or clothes, stuff them at the bottom of the door to keep the smoke out. And then make sure you don't hide. So if you hear noises, that's probably a firefighter or somebody to come to save your life. So then make that noise and say, you know, I'm in here. And uh, if there's a window to your door or, or to your bedroom or wherever you're at, and you can exit out that, that's part of that preparedness. You know, if look around your home, if it's upstairs, do you have a ladder that you could put down to get out that window? Um, and are you trained to use it? So you need to practice. If you're on the bottom floor, you know, you guys are all old enough to be able to operate a window, knock out a screen, and be able to crawl out a window safely. So. Yeah, so I also wanted to ask, um, what would you consider to be the number one cause of house fires? And also, how can it be prevented from starting? So there's a, there's a couple major causes of house fires. The, the number one is actually in the kitchen. It's cooking uh, equipment. So typically it's grease fires, um, uh, stove fires, oven fires. Um, those are things by just keeping it clean um, is a big thing. Making sure that you have a fire extinguisher in the kitchen is a, a really fantastic thing that most folks don't have. They're about $15 um, at a hardware store, um, but they can literally save your kitchen. We go to these fires quite a bit. Um, the other things are, um, the, the other big causes are smoking. People that still smoke uh, in their homes, there's 17,000 fires, I think we're starting like 2015, from people smoking at home. That's the number one cause of deaths um, in homes from fires. So, you know, don't smoke in the house, That's, don't smoke at all. Yeah. And then I would add to that, it's like a, a lot of fires are caused by electrical outlets, uh, and that's overloading those outlets. So now we have a lot of surge protectors. Back in the day, they had these things, they were called octopuses and they'd have like nine plugs plugged in them. So there are safer things to use like those surge protectors where if an outlet or something gets overloaded, it'll trip a circuit. Um, but pay attention to how many plugs because we're all plugging in our phones and our iPads and computers and things like that. So just making sure we don't overload those circuits. And that's a really good point. If you see four things plugged into a thing that has two receptacles, plug it someplace else in the house. So, because the one thing, overloading electrical outlets is very common, and it does cause a lot of fires. Yeah, and also, um, I like to add this time of year usually um, marks either the beginning or the middle of a fire season, and, you know, because it's windy, it's dry. Um, so, actually, we just got hit pretty hard with a fire um, over at the Boney Mountain, right? So, how, how do we be prepared for wildfires? Well, there's, we, we, one of our major pro programs is the Fire Hazard Reduction Program. So if you bump up into that wildland urban interface, we're asked, we ask all residents to clean 100 feet behind their homes. But when the east wind blows, like we had with the Woolsey Fire in the hill, and the winds are 50 to 70 miles an hour, that pushes embers into people's backyards, and it could be in the middle of the neighborhood. I'm sure you saw some of the homes, like right in the middle of a neighborhood that caught on fire where the other homes are still there. So what we call, we call it hardening your home. And so you, go, you can go around your home and make sure that you don't, your, your tree branches and things like that are not touching your roof. So you can make sure your, your roof is clean of debris, so leaves. Your, the gutters on your home are clean. So uh, th things around your home, it could be anything from a wood pile to uh, the vegetation, your landscaping, or even some of the furniture that you have in your backyard to make sure that's away from your home. Those are all things that can 
that an ember can get into and ignite that patio furniture or debris around your home or in your in your rain gutters and then ignite your home another thing you have to really be prepared for in this area because we're seeing these these fires that that burned uh, faster and hotter um, than we've ever seen before and and so it's having to change how, how we address it um, and how the public has to be ready for it. So one of the most important things is you have to have, um, you have to be ready to evacuate. You have to heat evacuation notices. So you need to go to vcalert.org, that's vcalert.org, and you can sign up for evacuation notices. So that way if there's an evacuation in your area, um, they will send it directly, they'll text your phone so you know you need to get out. Because as soon as you get that, you need to get on the road. Which also means you need to make sure that you're prepared for that. So talk to your parents, make sure that you guys have essentially a go bag. You have your clothes for a couple days, you have you know an extra set of you know ID, some money in there. So it, you know, especially this time of year, because we very well may ask you to evacuate your home. And once those evacuation orders go out there, it's important that you leave as quickly as possible because then we can focus on fighting that fire versus working on evacuations. All right, so uh, before we switch gears and talk about earthquakes, is there anything else you want to add about fire safety or anything? I mean, like, like we're talking about, this time of year is, um, you know, we, we start, the, the, the winds come um, in October every year. And, yeah. and so for the next month or two, um, we, we stay on pins and needles because we're definitely, uh, we're definitely staffed up. Uh, we have a different response. We up uh, our response is to, uh, responses to any type of wildland fire incident right now. So just, you know, c- keep your eyes open. Uh, make sure, you know, you guys sign up on vcalert.org and, you know, be ready for, you know, another fire season. And, and I'll add to that, we're, it's, we have a lot of people, we have a lot of beautiful open space that people like to go out in. So a fire doesn't start without an ignition source. So those ignition sources could be, you know, lightning, uh, a car fire on the side of the road that pulls over uh, next to a brush line and then it ignites the brush. Or we have, you know, citizens that are in the open space that are being careless. So, you know, if you see something like that, I just heard it as I was walking in today. If you see something, say it. So that might be one of those things. If you feel comfortable, if you see people smoking or discarding things that are in the open space that can cause that ignition source, you know, if you see it, you can say it and, you know, try to protect our, our open space. So, yeah, so um, for earthquakes, how can families be prepared when an earthquake occurs? I, I would say it's very similar to, you know, even a fire, having, that go, having some kind of go bag. Um, if we have an earthquake, uh, the fire service, like, like Jason showed you the video earlier, this is what we do. We prepare, we're, we're ready. We have our own water supply and food supply. So having those supplies ready to be able to take care of yourself. Um, I'll let Jason talk about the websites again because they, there's a lot of information on the, those websites like VC Emergency and VC Alert that help you. Uh, they'll have a checklist there where you can save things. But I would say having those, those supplies is important. But making, your, making sure you have those supplies in a place that they're accessible. Uh, we don't have basements here, but a lot of times we're going to store those things. We're, we're not going to be affected by them every single day. But if you have an earthquake, and unfortunately, if you have a collapse in your structure, will you be able to access those supplies if your home is damaged to, to that significant event? So you need to have those supplies someplace accessible, um, which may even be somehow stored outside in, you know, in some type of secure you know, um, container. 
So I'll, I'll go ahead and pitch another website, which is uh, shakeout.org, uh, which is today is the great shakeout, which is where we practice our, our earthquake preparedness. So when you go to shakeout.org, they're going to talk about these checklists that you have, which are making sure that you have your emergency supplies, that you're self-sufficient for up to seven days, um, because it, it will be a chaotic situation. Um, the Edith, the exit drills in the home also apply to earthquakes. After you have an earthquake, you need to you know, exit your building, um, make sure you, you, everyone meets at a meeting place, and then there's some other things on that checklist you can go through. Um, but it, yeah, emergency preparedness and earthquake preparedness is something that in Southern California, we really need to be ready for because it's not a question of if we're going to have another large earthquake. It is simply a question of when. Last week, there were two uh, 4.0 earthquakes just in San Francisco in the Bay Area. So it, it, it's very common. We live in earthquake country, so we need to be ready for it. After the initial earthquake, is there anything families and people should do for the aftershocks? It's, it, it's, it's very similar. So people need to, once the earthquake's over, once the shaking stops. So when the shaking starts, that is, you, you, you stop, you, you get to the ground, you cover yourself, and you hold until the, st the shaking ends. And then you leave your building to make sure that every, your, your structure is still sound. Typically, again, through a checklist, there's a lot on there that, that you, you need to know. Um, but there's a couple things you're going to do there with, like, turning off a gas line, um, making sure that, uh, that, that, that other parts of your structure are still safe to reenter. Um, and then once you determine that it is safe to reenter, you still have to be prepared for uh, an aftershock. And sometimes the first earthquake is actually a foreshock. The later earthquakes can be larger than the initial earthquake. And that's exactly what happened in Ridgecrest. So um, also the, in the preparedness side of it, you know, you want to, for us, the fire department, we're always on that preparedness side. We are always preparing for emergencies, training for those. So for me, what, uh, we we train and we're prepared at home also so and you know you want to make sure that the things in your home are secure so as you walk through your home if there's an earthquake is there something is this um, bookcase is it secured to the wall is it something where if I had to duck cover and hold right here could I get hit by something so you can secure bookcases you can find those places in your home and go if I'm in my bedroom where what am I going to do if I'm in an earthquake? If I'm in my kitchen, where am I going to go? Or where am I going to hide in the kitchen? Where's the safest place? In the living room. So you can kind of plan those areas out and say, if this is what happens, if the earthquake happens when I'm in this room, this is what or this is the safest place for me to be. Yeah, so we practice earthquake and fire drills all the time at school. So what advice or at least the best advice you could give to students who are performing these drills at school? I mean, it's, you guys do it at school, and you guys do a good job every year. Every year. I know you guys do, like, quarterly emergency drills. Um, so I think you guys are pretty tight on that. I think, I think for me, from our perspective, is what we really want to see is, is those drills being done in the home is going to your family, make it fun, you know, go to these websites, look at their checklist, do those emergency checks at your house, see, you know, what, what's going to be of concern if there is an earthquake, practice, you know, stop dropping, holding, waiting till it ends, getting out, talk about these different scenarios, talk about what happens if there's a, you know, a, a fire in your hallway and you're in your, in, in your bedroom and you, you close that door, you make a lot of noise, you try to get out a window if you can, you know, do those, you, you need to get in the practice of practice, because we do it all the time, and we, we train, we practice station all the time, today we're doing a large drill as part of the great shakeout too i mean we're going to do a drill where we're practicing our communications which is what happens when an earthquake when an earthquake occurs we have to make sure that everybody um, 
basically made it through the earthquake unharmed and we're still ready to respond to fire. So today our drill is going to be everyone has to try to get a hold of dispatch using different methods because we used to do it all on the radio, but that takes a really long time. So now we're going to try an internet version and a phone version and see if, if that's an effective way to do it. Just constant drilling, constant practicing. Yeah, so... Sorry, I would say you guys are going to be doing this throughout your whole school, your, you know, your careers at school. So for me, it's like, don't get complacent. You know, once you get into high school, you'll go out to do your earthquake drill. And if you've never experienced an earthquake, you may roll your eyes. At least that's what Jason probably would have done when he was in high school. Um, so just don't get complacent. Take it serious. Listen to your teachers and the supervisors that are around you and go, if this was a real earthquake, you know, it's, it's not going to be just like walking out there. You might have to duck, cover, and hole in your classroom. So, you know, just just don't get complacent and take it serious and pay attention to really what's going on. So when it happens, you're prepared. Yeah, and um, other than like the safety drills and anything else, what other um, procedures can schools do to stay prepared for these type of emergencies? I think you guys, I think you're doing it right now. I think you're, you're reaching out on your podcast and you're talking to different, uh, you know, first responders and different people that are, are in our communities and you're gaining this information. So I'd say take that information, go to those websites, really look at them and go, hey, are we prepared? Are we doing these things already? And come up with a plan to, you know, maybe you can't implement something all at one time, but come up with a plan and say, hey, we're already doing this. Here's a couple more items that I think we can we can do and put that in a plan and try to uh, try to accomplish as many of those so you're prepared. If someone wanted to be a firefighter, what would it take and how could they do it? Well, I was hired more recently uh, than Chief Spikerman. Um, fun fact also, I was his rookie uh, 15 years ago. Um, so to be a firefighter, it's like any job. Um, it, there, there's training involved. Um, there's education. Um, there's different certifications that help. Um, right now, the fire service is um, it's a very dynamic place. It's a place that uh, requires more education than it used to. Um, you have to be very physically fit. Um, if you want to be a firefighter, I mean, there's a couple things you can do right now, which is we do, um, we do different programs um, at, uh, at our headquarters where, where we do a fire camp in the summer. Um, we have a fire explorer program that we do that you can get um, experience in. Um, there's different volunteer volunteer opportunities that you can do that will get experience in the fire service. But you know, nowadays, in a, an associate's degree in fire science is something that looks good. Uh, becoming a paramedic something looks good. Uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a commitment to physical fitness is something that's very important. And then you know, it just takes time. You just got to work hard at it. And and I would I would say, just like Jason did, it's you you need to be educated. You need to be in you know good physical shape. So you know, try to play sports if you can or stay active out in your community you know go hiking or whatever you enjoy doing out there to stay fit um like jason said there's the different programs uh but also you can come to the fire stations you can come talk to firefighters i think the age uh the minimum age for us is 21 years old now is it now i think it's 20 it 21 is. so, so you can, it's usually anywhere from 18 to 21 as a minimum age but go out and talk to the firefighters they're more than willing all of us had mentors that helped us get hired you know, from getting hired all the way to getting promotions and working through our career. So go visit the fire station and, and talk to them. They'll be more than willing to, to kind of tell you what would, would be your, the best step for you right now. Thank you so much for um, joining us today, both of you. Um, before we ask our studio audience for any questions, is there anything um, either of you would like to add? 
I'm going to thank you guys for having us. I mean, this is really fun, and it's also important to have these type of conversations. And, you know, we're always happy to come out. But uh, I think it's a great program that you're doing. I'm really impressed. I'll just add one thing to, to uh, the preparedness side, and that's the communication. We're practicing that today. We're practicing the accountability piece where if we have an earthquake, we're, who are making sure all of our people are taken care of? So there's that communication piece for your family. Also, how are you going to communicate? Your, your parents might be at home or work and you're at school. So you guys could come up with a plan on how you guys are going to try to communicate. And that could be even having to contact somebody that's not in the county. They could be out of state or out of this county where they're not affected by the emergency to make sure that your family knows you're all right. And now for our studio audience, if they have any questions or comments. Hi, my name is Dominic, and my question is, what goes on during the communications uh, for first responders? Because you guys were mentioning this during uh, when you guys were going to do the drills, or you guys were going to do drills for communication. So my question is, like, what goes on during it? Um, so what we're going to do is at, uh, I think it's 1017 this morning, uh, our dispatch center, which is called FCC, is going to put out a page that says, this is a drill and that we, this is a drill, a drill, so that nobody thinks it's real. And they are going to say, we have now experienced a, you know, such and such size earthquake. We are going into a plan to earthquake. And then we will follow the protocols that are in our policy. And so part of that communication is that piece itself saying we, they're going to put that out, that we suffered an earthquake in real life. And then all of our engines, like the video that Jason showed you earlier, all of our Firefighters will end up getting up, going through their protocols, opening their garage doors, making sure all our engines out. They're going to survey their fire station. They're going to make sure their apparatus is ready and none of the firefighters were hurt during the earthquake. And then they're going to communicate to their battalion chief that their fire station is in service, they're ready to go for emergencies, and that everybody was okay. Wow. That's, that's, and that's then sweet. they end up communicating that to me, and I communicate yeah. it to the <laughs> next, next guy. I, I like how it's very... Um it's based on the protocol that's really cool that um even in a drill it's very like ready and prepared yes yeah, thank you yeah you're welcome um hi i'm sean and i heard you mention battalions uh during that question and a little earlier in the podcast what are battalions exactly so those are geographic we have five battalions throughout ventura county and so they're just geographical areas that we have decided these uh, eight or nine, five to nine fire stations are in this one geographical area, and that can be supervised by, you know, uh, the battalion chief. And so those geographical areas are put into battalions just for responses and being able to manage those resources. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jake. I was wondering, what is the highest rank in the fire service? Uh, the fire chief is the highest rank in our fire department. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Hi, I'm Cameron, and... I would like to know how many branches are in the fire service. Uh, are you looking at like ranks? Yeah, like ranks. Yeah, branches or yeah. ranks? Um, yeah, for us. I mean, in reality, you have like a firefighter, engineer, captain, which are our initial three ranks. And then we have the chief's rank, which kind of runs. Uh, there's a couple delineations in, inside of chiefs, but they have a little more flexibility from a battalion chief to division chief to a deputy assistant chief. And, but those are really, there's like one person in those higher jobs. So you get to the chief one, which is Mark Lorenzen, who is, who is our, our ultimate chief. I would say that I think there's eight. So we have a fire chief. We have one deputy chief three assistant chiefs, three division chiefs, 20 battalion chiefs, and then it goes from captain to engineer who's the driver and then a firefighter. 
And then we also have those ranks where we have now an Explorer program. So, uh, and also we have personnel that are on our hand crew and also our, um, our administrative staff who helps run the fire department also because without our human resources, uh, policy makers, payroll, all those things, our whole fire department can't run. Thank you. You're welcome. Hi, my name is Pradyush, and I'm wondering, so you mentioned uh, you should be prepared for earthquakes and fires. What supplies and where can, well, you mentioned the supplies. Where can you get the supplies that you would need? I think it depends on, so you can build your own kit at Target. I mean, they're going to have certain, the basics that you need, whether it's just canned foods and a can opener and, and extra clothing and water, um, you can find a, a real simple kit you can put together and put inside of a cooler in your garage, really at Target or Walmart or any place like that. It, you can get more advanced stuff like MREs that can last for years. I mean, you can buy it online. You can buy it at REI. Um, but really, you, don't, you probably don't need to go to that kind of an expense. And you, you can really keep it pretty simple. And again, go to shakeout.org and look at their preparedness kits, and they're going to give you a perfect list of exactly exactly what to build I like the fact that you don't have to spend so much to be prepared and thank you yeah uh, let me add something to that too it's like remember if you have if we have an earthquake or a large fire that can knock out power so when you're buying supplies you may have to buy you may not want to get the battery powered can opener you may want the stuff that's you know like an old-school tool where it's a manual thing so it never needs batteries it never needs power that makes a lot of sense Hi, my name is Dante. Uh, during a fire, besides getting low, what's another way to prevent smoke damage on lo your lungs? I mean, really, honestly, getting low is the most important thing that you can do. Um, other than that, like, th they'll talk about, like, you can, you can cover your mouth with, um, as you're breathing, when you're breathing through, like, a towel or something, which can help a little bit. But just staying low and getting away from the smoke. Closing that door is a big thing, is that a lot of the time, you know, people retreat back into a room, but they leave the door open. Once you close that door, those, most of those doors will actually take quite a bit of fire impingement before the, they'll, uh, they'll break through and, and smoke or fire can get in the, the house. So we have time to get there and get to you. So just isolate yourself, you know, keep the door closed, stay low, and make a lot of noise. That's, that's the other thing is that we can't overemphasize is that noise is how we find you because it's dark, it's hard for us to see, there's, already, there's a lot of other stuff going on. So if someone's like, like in their room in a corner, just, just scream your lungs out. Hi, my name is Cage, and my question is, if there was an earthquake, do you make sure the fire station is all right before you go to deal with the commotion? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's exactly what we do. So the very first thing we do um, after we have an earthquake, a dispatch will say there's been an earthquake. Normally we'll feel it, and I've been at the station when you're like, why is the lights rocking? And, then, and as soon as we hear that, the first thing we're doing is we're hitting that button to open those doors because if you have a decent earthquake and it shifts the building, we can't get the fire engine out because we have to get the doors open. So we make sure the doors are open and we pull those engines out immediately. That's the very first thing that we do. Then what we're gonna do is walk around and look at that critical infrastructure around our station because we do have, we have you know, uh, uh, communication towers, we usually have fuel. We'll make sure that the station you know, is in good shape and then we'll relay that through our roll call. Thank you. Thank you so much for, again, for talking to us about earthquake and fire safety. And thanks to all our listeners and followers I'm Ryan Eby with Emily Cox for K19 signing off.